Hey guys, this is Peter Rogers. I am um, sitting here with Andreas. We're getting ready and having a bit of a discussion. We're very thankful to the uh, TCT team for having us on their podcast. Um, interested in having a bit of a discussion around additive, also looking at some of the uh, surrounding things outside of just the hardware. Um, it's a interesting kind of journey that both of us have had in additive. So hopefully it'll be uh, somewhat of interest. Hello and welcome to Additive Insight, the original additive manufacturing podcast and your source for news, interviews and comments on the latest 3D printing and additive manufacturing intelligence, brought to you by TCT Magazine. I'm your host, Sam Davis, and today, Peter Rogers, formerly of Velo3D and Autodesk, links back up with Lumafield CEO Andreas Bastian in our latest instalment of our Innovators on Innovators series. The pair met while working at Autodesk on such projects as a Airbus seat frame, which they discuss in this podcast. Since Autodesk, the pair have gone in different directions. Rogers has spent most of that time in metal additive manufacturing and consulting, while Bastion set up Lumafield, an industrial CT and AI inspection business. As they reconvene for this podcast, they share their thoughts on the differences in porosity distribution across the several 3D printing processes, how Lumafield is using AI to adjust part defects, and the advancements being made in additive manufacturing software. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more additive insight, head on over to tctmagazine.com where you can subscribe to the print edition of TCT Magazine and our weekly additive insight newsletter for free. Getting back to when we originally met, I think that the first project that I had overlap with you was potentially the uh, Airbus frame where you were doing oh, latticing. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah. so I think that was additively developed inserts that you were using to make the molds. And then you were using traditional manufacturing to actually fill it with magnesium, I think magnesium. was the material of choice. Yeah, mag. Mag's a uh, phenomenal material. Um, you know, lightweight, obviously known for being uh, yeah. flammable, but uh, there, there's some nice uh, uh, aerospace grades that, uh, you know, like uh, frontal grades that uh, uh, get used a lot. Um, but yeah, a lot of my um, kind of early work at, um, at um, Autodesk and, you know, one of the problems I was really interested in um, working on was, you know, in the kind of early 2010s and the early days of generative design and topology optimization, mm-hmm. uh, there's this, um, you know, really common drumbeat to the narrative of, you know, the only way to make this optimized structure is with additive. The only way to do yeah, it is with yeah. additive. And, um, you know, I set up uh, through a series of um, kind of technology demonstrator research projects at Autodesk to try to tease that tease that statement apart a little bit um, and demonstrate that, you know, another way of looking at this is that we really just haven't actually um, developed good design for manufacturability um, yeah. uh, uh, algorithmic constraints uh, for generative design. So yeah. um, I think that, you know, probably one of the, the biggest the themes of my time at Autodesk was really decoupling uh, generative from additive, and one of the first um, kind of projects um, that I tackled to uh, just demonstrate that this is possible um, was to show that you can investment cast um, all of these topology optimized structures, all of these lattice structures. Um, so we worked with um, 
uh, some folks from the uh, Autodesk Advanced Consulting team and um, uh, our uh, uh, partner foundry uh, Aristocast out in uh, Michigan <laughs> to um, demonstrate a you know, design tool to the uh, I it's the 9G and 16G load cases, uh, take an air, aircraft uh, seat frame. So one of these, um, uh, you know, it's a, a part that uh, you know, holds uh, holds all the passengers <laughs> and their seats uh, to the deck uh, in an aircraft, um, and you know, it's, <clears throat> has these very rigorous uh, design specifications. So uh, we designed this um, lattice, um, you know, plugging in the material properties for um, uh, magnesium. Um, and so we're able to take a, an alloy that uh, at the time, I think maybe Fraunhofer had demonstrated um, printing with laser powder bed fusion a, a couple of times, yeah. but you know, very uh, much not a production alloy yeah. um, for, for metal AM. Uh, we're able to take that alloy and take a uh, shape, a topology that had historically only been accessible with um, additive, we're able to print a um, pattern for the investment mm. casting process. So we basically uh, printed wax. It was actually a PMMA via the mm. voxel jet, uh, yep. micro jet uh, fusion process. Built up a ceramic slurry, burnt out the uh, PMMA, poured in the metal. Um, and then we got this, uh, you know, really incredibly lightweight. Uh, the whole thing, I think, weighed, weighed less than that kilogram. We've got uh, there are yeah. a few case studies on the uh, uh, yeah, yeah. floating on the internet. There's, there's a lot of them still out there, right? But this is, you yeah. know, became a playbook um, that I I think is really compelling because mm. you can get so much of, you know, my favorite playbook uh, kind of ever for additive mm. um, is combining additive with uh, traditional manufacturing processes. Yep. Yep. So you can get you can establish that geometry, that high performance geometry with additive, and then you can tap into all of the amazing alloys and all of the amazing um, supply chain and infrastructure for modern castings. Yeah. Um, so we went on to do a bunch of other things in that in that yeah, playbook, yeah. but um, uh, I really am excited about these applications where you're yeah. using additive to unlock high performance shape, and then yeah. using another manufacturing process to deliver a um, you know a qualified manufacturing yeah. process. And one of the things that I found really interesting about it was the design constraints hadn't really been defined doing that process, right? So one of the things that I remember seeing, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that you created like a, a separate investment cast that had the different lattice beam thicknesses going yeah. from everything from like, from like one mil up to like 10 mil, I think it yeah, was. Yeah. It was Wow, yeah, and yeah, my <laughs> my memory of that was I talked about that with customers all the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like again, like understanding that yeah, you can do it in additive, but when you take it to the traditional manufacturing process, it's like okay, but the metal's not going to get down a one millimeter yeah. path, so you're not going to have the beams created effectively. But when you go up to the very thick size, you know, it can also have its own issues with the overall geometry of the lattice, right? So I thought that was very interesting because again, you were able to, in one geometry, you were able to capture various different aspects of what that uh, would look like. And you're able to develop the thresholds, the minimum, the maximum, yeah. and you're able to push that into the end geometry. I, I found that really That's, exciting. Yeah. yeah, I think that, you know, that that um, kind of test coupon um, mm. that I designed to basically, you know, uh, get a derive experimentally yeah. manufacturability constraints for this particular task, this particular mm. purpose. Um, there, there are two things about that, that coupon that um, I think are really important when it comes to characterizing a process, yeah. characterizing additive. And this is something that um, I did some work with uh, Kickstarter back while I was at Autodesk to develop um, test coupons um, just for yeah. all of the, just the, you know, Hundreds, thousands yeah, of yeah, yeah. 3D printers that um, folks were uh, bringing to market, to <coughs> bring to market um, via Kickstarter. They wanted um, 
a uh, some you know benchmarking capability. And I yeah, think yeah. One of the things that's you know um, kind of easy to um, or a common trap in designing you know uh, characterization geometries, characterization uh, routines yeah. for additive is to um, design like one single object that does it all. Yeah. And one single object that's like cute, uh, that you know, has <laughs> something, uh, you know, has a brand. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And the the challenge is if you're not driving the process to failure, you're not actually fully characterizing um, yeah. its capabilities. And so, you know, you talked about um, in that, uh, you know, lattice coupon that we made to um, see what was possible. Yeah. Um, we did have to think about, all right, so how we're flowing liquid metal into this cavity into this topology, yeah. um, what are the, what is the longest flow path and what, you know, aspect ratio yeah. can we sustain before we lose heat uh, yeah. and that yeah. material solidifies? Um, because this was a casting process, we have this sacrificial ceramic shell outside of that, um, you know, they're, 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 we have that shell that we're filling. Yeah. Um, if we make those channels too thick, we make the struts of the lattice too thick, then we won't be able to remove the mm. shell. Uh, we'll have a, exactly. a terrible right. effective, you know, buy to fly ratio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Us trapped ceramic. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so the thing that was important about that um, coupon is it drove the process to failure in yeah. two different bounds. Yeah. So we're able to effectively map, you know, what is the design space that we yeah. can actually um, use here. Mm-hmm. And so this is one of my, you know, uh, uh, kind of favorite things about, you know, process characterization in general. Yeah, characterization yeah. is it's, you know, it's critical to drive the process actually to failure yeah. or like a named failure mode yeah um, rather than trying to kind of do it all do it all at once <laughs> yeah and then i guess like knowing those limitations then feeds into the software so when we're working mm-hmm. with uh, i believe that the original stuff was done with within or was that also a combination of within yeah. and the generative technology so for the dream um, catcher back in the day uh, dream catcher the day, yeah <laughs> so the um uh, so the uh, uh, investment cast magnesium seed frame that was um, within um, lattice um, uh, topology optimization. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my colleague uh, uh, Andy Harris uh, did yeah. the uh, TO for that. Um, so that was uh, within technology. We then went on to you know, some of the other you know uh, really fun projects that we uh, we worked on. Um, you know, as generative design was actually transitioning from you know something highly experimental that you know didn't really have a user interface into yeah. Uh, successive generations of prototypes that um, eventually landed the technology in, uh, in Fusion. Um, you know, we're working on how to actually, uh, yeah, how do we how do we uh, manage constraints uh, yeah. for this? In particular, I think one of the you know really interesting realizations we had was, um, you know, there are such things as additive design constraints. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> uh, it's. We talk about design freedom, but there is also a lot of constraints, and yeah. there are a lot of limitations that that comes with additive, which you know industry doesn't particularly like to talk about, unless you're in the industry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think the, the machine salesmen don't like to talk about it as much. But <laughs> yeah, it's you know complexity is free, and uh, you know the only way we can make it is with additive or yeah. you know, great kind of you know, kind of keynote uh, proclamations, but yeah, yeah. Um, yeah the, the reality in the trenches of, you know, actually trying to bring additive mm-hmm. products to market is, yeah. is far more complex. And I think, you know, one of the things that's really fascinating about um, additive is you do, you know, it's it's not that often that a, like a whole new manufacturing process um, develops uh, and yeah. gets adopted. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so to a certain extent, we have to kind of rediscover all of the things yeah. that, um, 
uh, have been derived, say, for casting processes over the mm. past several millennia. Yep. Uh, for you know CNC over the past you know couple of you know CNC down back I think harkens back to the 50s, 40s, 50s. Yeah. Uh, but machining you know harkens back to like you know the early uh, you know George Watt and the early uh, steam engines. Uh, yeah. Birth of precision. Uh, yeah, exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we have to kind of rethink um, what it actually takes to um, bring you know safely use an additive product. So yes. Yeah. That's, you know, it's a lot of not particularly glamorous things like post-processing, it's yep, heat yep. treatments, it's post-machining. Yep. Um, and I think that was, you know, one of the really interesting things that um, uh, we made a lot of <laughs> contact with. This is one mm -hmm. of the things that I really, um, uh, you know, think is uh, it's a principle of product development, particularly when you're taking a very fresh technology yep. um, and turning it into a shipping product that people are going to use to solve real problems. The best way to develop that technology is by throwing it at real problems with real, yeah. real users as quickly as possible. And so yeah. that's a lot of where these, uh, you know, kind of technology demonstrators about this came from. Was yeah, trying yeah. to solve a problem with this, uh, you know, immature technology, but we learned exactly what the most important problems to solve were. As yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, I find it really interesting because it's also you can push technology to its boundaries and see where it breaks, but pre-breaking point there's also challenges so you know you've got like the the standard distribution of failures compared to where the safe zone is mm -hmm. um but as you kind of push it towards breaking point you want to kind of get close enough to create hopefully what is the best design rather than compromising the design to meet the manufacturing constraints but as you kind of move towards the breaking point you generally do start to see uh, more complexities or more impurities with the actual geometry, yeah. which kind of somewhat segueing into what you're doing uh, with your new company is, you know, porosity and, and creating defects in parts is, you know, is something that additive is very good at, <laughs> um, which, you know, I think that that's a, a very interesting place to start. And you know, there's various different ways that companies are going about it, right? You know, we've got a lot of the uh, additive machine technologies that are bringing in all of these different quality assurance software technologies, mm -hmm. metrology inspection during the build, trying to create a very thorough uh, kind of trail of information to figure out, you know, if there was any issues that happened during the build. But as soon as you cover something with powder and do a next layer, you all of a sudden have a lot of stuff that you can't see. And, you know, there's distortion, there's issues happening below the surface that doesn't quite get picked up, which is often where we see companies running CMM technology, 3D scanning, comparing mm -hmm. to the digital twin that they've got from the original CAD. Um, I always find that companies do a hell of a lot of destructive testing because... Yeah, yeah non-destructive seems to be an expensive process um you guys i it's definitely one of my favorite linkedin channels because <laughs> you guys are always posting the coolest stuff um but you take non-destructive testing and make it accessible which is one of the reasons why i was very excited to have a chat with you about what you're doing because it's kind of where companies are going next. You know, they've found the geometries, they've found the way that they can manufacture them, but they also want to understand how they can start to uh, actually qualify some of these geometries. And additive isn't always the uh, most stable process, I guess you could say. So even though it's a repeat print of the exact same slice file, sometimes there's imperfections. You know, it might be down to you know, uh, 
atmospheric differences compared to last time they printed it. It could come down to how many times yeah. they've recycled the powder. It might be... Depositions a, on the optics window. Exactly, yeah. exactly. It might be a slight difference in the PSD of the, uh, of the powder. You know, th there's a lot of stuff that can cause yeah. small issues. And small issues in critical components can become very big catastrophic, catastrophic failures, right? Yeah. Um, so... Give us a little bit of an insight into what you do and, and some of the capabilities of the technology, because I find it fascinating. Yeah, no, it's, um, I mean, it's, you know, it's funny, we, we, when we started the company, we're, we're a bunch of ex-additive guys, and, um, you know, our, like, very first pitch deck, um, you know, was pretty additive-focused. Uh, we really thought that we were going to be the kind of the killer app for, for additive. Yeah. Um, what we were really surprised by is, you know, additive is is actually a pretty small minority of our our current customers. Yeah. Um, but they are part of a broader trend um, in kind of characterizing manufacturing process and mm -hmm. materials uh, bring up things things like that. So, yeah, I think the the thing, you know, I, I a, a, a very important <laughs> uh, moment, uh, you know, yeah, it's, gosh, this must have been 2017, <laughs> 18, 16, something like that. Yeah. I was at a um, um, additive for aerospace conference um, uh, in the UK, and um, I found myself talking with the um, head of the um, uh, EU's equivalent of the uh, Federal Aviation Administration. Oh, nice. Um, and you know, I uh, just presented something about uh, it's probably about that that uh, seat frame that we were just discussing. Yeah, yeah. And um, <laughs> you know. He was super excited um, about you know all this new technology and basically you know he drew some really interesting parallels with the uh, the last time new technology was introduced into aerospace um, was composites um, yeah yeah you know, and that was you know started that was a process that started 30 years ago um, so yeah. it, it took a long time you know manufacturing time constants are are, are generally quite long yeah yeah um, with you know some some specific exceptions but he um, you know said in this kind of very offhand way, um, you know, like all this stuff is great. Like I love this additive stuff. I love these lattices, this topology optimization, you know, the, um, you know, performance that we can get out of these, these parts, the lightweighting is incredible. Yeah. Um, but it would just be so impractical to CT scan every single one of these pieces. It's yeah. just not economical. Yeah. Um, and so this is a, you know, a seed that, uh, he, you know, planted, um, years ago, um, of just like, actually the bottleneck is not like, can we build the machines? Can we melt powder with lasers? Can we yeah. design these high-performance structures? Like we can definitely do that. Um, it's validating that those parts are the parts uh, we set out to make. Yeah, um, 100%. And I think that's this is you know the, the challenge with any manufacturing process um, is that you design your your really nice fancy part in CAD. Um, you send it to a factory and you get something back, and that thing you get back is always a little bit different. And yeah. it's actually kind of this huge industry, this huge, really interesting, nuanced uh, and complicated problem to figure out, you know, is that difference meaningful? Is yeah. that impactful? 100%. Um, and so, you know, industries um, have developed all sorts of different ways of, um, you know, demonstrating that parts have been made to spec and that they are yep. safe to use. Um, it involves, you know, certified materials, repeatable processes, you know, yep. statistical process control. And I think one of the things that's challenging about additive 
um, is that it's there's a lot of complexity. We're you know taking a laser toolpath that is miles long. Mm-hmm. We're folding it up. Uh, basically, you know, I like to think of it as kind of threading you know pearls on a string in terms yeah, of all yeah. the little particles you know, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, that we're melting together. So we're taking you know millions, tens of millions of particles. We're <laughs> yeah, threading yeah. them on this you know miles long mm-hmm. laser toolpath, yeah. um, and then we're counting on like that string, that laser toolpath having like the same energy density uh, or the energy density that we've prescribed to. Yeah, as we fold it up into a shape, um, so there's there's just a lot of there are a lot of things that can go wrong, um, and yeah. you know it's also it's, it's yeah. uh, you know circa 2016 it was uh, still an era when a time when you could push a firmware update and your like yield strength would change. Yeah, um, yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> you know, so like pretty, <laughs> yeah. kind of uh, hair raising, <laughs> uh, kind of process control challenges. Yeah, yeah. But the thing that is possible uh, when you have, you know, you can either try to take manage complexity in kind of two ways. Yeah. And you see this um, with, um, you know, if you have different grades in manufacturing, there are lots of uh, manufacturing processes in which you have, you know, like, you know, uh, premium grade, you know, medium grade, uh, you know, grade B type type things. Um, you look at what you've manufactured from a less controlled process and then you, um, you know, bucket it. You say like, all right, these are all like tightly within tolerance. These are largely within tolerance. These are poorly within tolerance. These yeah. ones, we, you know, these ones that are completely out, you know, out of left field, we scrap. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, you can kind of look at you know, what's the relative cost of controlling all of that complexity or you can just check. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the cost of checking um, has been, you know, pretty astronomical. Uh, yeah. Historically, CT has, you know, really only been used in a, a handful of very specialized processes. You know, you find a CT uh, system where you find an electron microscope, like in a lab, staffed with yeah, a bunch of, yeah. you know, guys in lab coats. Uh, yeah, it's uh, not exactly <laughs> sitting on the manufacturing floor, exactly. surrounded by a bunch of leads, right? <laughs> exactly. So yeah, there, there, you know, there are a couple of, you know, like uh, single crystal uh, nickel super alloy turbine leads, uh, like hot stage uh, components that have a lot of yeah. geometric complexity. I mean, that's, you know, one of the uh, most specialized manufacturing processes you know, sure. in the world. And, you know, those, those high criticality, high value components, those get 100% CT scanned. And it's yeah. one of the few things that does Exactly right. Yeah. But yeah, the you know the what we've done at the Lumafield is we've taken this technology that you know historically is you know the price points are similar to a lot of metal additive systems. You're looking at the yeah. you know, hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars to get yeah. one of these systems. You have a trained operator. You have to get all this compute infrastructure because the data is massive. Yep. Yep. Um, we've dramatically reduced that cost so that you know. Uh, a huge number of people who've never been able to use this technology can start yeah. to use it. Um, yeah, price point. Like as soon as you told me the price point, I kind of, yeah, I almost went bald. And uh, people that know me, it's a, <laughs> it was a, it was a moment where I just completely lost it. It was, it was completely outside of any realm of any CT technology that I've ever heard of. So, I mean, that's. That's a very amazing thing in terms of making it economically accessible. And as you're kind of talking about, you know, it's it's the, taking that data and actually making it usable and in not having to have a PhD to be able to say, hey, there are some issues yeah. within this part, um, which kind of leads to the next like you work at a hardware company. Yeah, we're, we're kind of a, a, a software company in yeah. uh, hardware's clothing. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, one of the... <laughs> the software company dressed up as a hardware company. I mean, you know, when you, you crack the hood on the machine, there's a ton of AI running on the machine. Mm. Um, and this is one of the things right. um, that is, you know, if we like look at, you know, how we make the technology more accessible, I mean, you know, at the end yeah. of the day, we're 
we're making, we're democratizing access to the ability to check to really yeah. fully understand um, what you have made. Yeah. Um, and by extension, the process that made it. For sure. For um, sure. And so one of the ways we, we do that, you know, obviously we you know get the software to run in the browser instead of you have to build, you know, like these crazy, essentially these like like ten twenty thousand dollar gaming rigs to like. Yeah. Run, yeah, yeah. You, know, you need hundreds of gigs of RAM because the the data sets are can be huge. Hundreds of gigs. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we've you know done a lot of um, kind of core technology development to like make interacting with this data possible in the browser to uh, you know make the machine you know yeah. operatable with you know ten minutes of training yeah only yeah. need years of years of training yeah yeah exactly um, and then you know to your point about you know actually kind of gleaning insights I mean that's another part of where uh, kind of the AI that we built um, comes in yeah like you can just ask uh, Atlas our, our AI agent um, yeah. Uh, the, the kind of we treat as a, a co-pilot. You know, yeah, yeah, kind yeah, of this, yeah. Uh, you know, I think of it as uh, you know somebody with a pair of reading glasses who scoots their chair up to your desk. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Bounce ideas <laughs> off them. Uh, but yeah, you can just ask Atlas like, yeah. hey, is there anything yeah. wrong with my part? Um, you know, yeah. Atlas is like fully multi-modal, has an exhaustive yeah. knowledge of modern manufacturing and of uh, X-ray CT and process optimization. Yeah, I'll say, hey, I found some some pores. Um, you know, would you like me to like characterize them? And then it'll it will kick off a porosity analysis and it yeah. will find all the pores. It'll measure their sphericity, their spatial yeah. distribution, their proximity to surface, their size. Yeah. And I'll go through and highlight, you know, kind of the most uh, eyebrow raising, <laughs> the most concerning defects that it found in the parts. And it's kind of you know yeah. giving you a head start. It's uh, you know it's it's, it's uh, done a preliminary analysis, yeah. and then you can have a conversation with it and you know talk through like you know it'll ask you like well what are you using this part for like, yeah right is this like primary structure is this cosmetic like what's the material like you know how did you yeah uh, what do you care about this part and if there's if you're like oh yeah this is you know uh, primary structure this is like an axle component something yeah. that's going to be uh, receiving cyclic loading I'll be like you should really. Take a look at that uh, high aspect ratio pore there. That's going to be a, a yeah. crack initiation site. So it's, it's able to connect um, the you know really deep quantitative data yeah. that our um, you know our scanners produce. Um, combine that with you know uh, it's it's a, a manufacturing knowledge and design for manufacturing yeah. uh, knowledge and provide you know really concrete suggestions and diagnoses. Yeah. So it's, it's an incredible partner to have when you're trying to just. Get it's, it's it's kind of like you're sitting in front of the laptop. You're you're feeling like Tony Stark having a chat with Jarvis, right? You know, it's uh, it's <laughs> it's connecting in and making that ridiculously large amount of data yeah. consumable, and and you're able to kind of take that information and turn it not just into uh, quantity data, but also you've got quality data because you can actually exactly. ask the system what it's doing, right? Exactly. So I kind of like. Uh, I agree that that's like a huge area and additive, of course, has a lot of issues around that. But I always find it funny. We go to customers and we're talking about, you know, additive getting 99.9% .9 density on metal parts these days with uh, metal powder bare fusion. And they're like, oh, yeah, call us when it gets to 100. And it's like, okay, so you don't use any casted parts? Like, it's, I, <laughs> I it's, it's still probably what the second highest percentage of porosity, uh, well, yeah. highest percentage of density that you're going to get from a manufacturing technology. But it, 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 it's it's not a billet, right? And yeah. even billets, you know, sometimes it's not 100% on those. But, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's always a very funny conversation to have. Um, but I mean, metal is a very different game in itself because, you know, there are challenges around seating specific metals and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. some of the sizes and some of the complexity can get a uh, little bit difficult. 
Um, but again, like some of the stuff that you're putting up, it, it's it's traditional, traditionally manufactured parts, it's assemblies, it's all of these sort of things that have been, you know, combined together. What was the one that I really enjoyed? There was a post about a mascara bottle that was oh, leaking, yeah. and it was find the fall, find the uh, floor yeah. in this. Um, you know, and, and and just that sort of stuff. Like I think that posing those questions and showing that data, there were dozens of people that were posting on that, that are engineers that were looking for the failure, that were understanding what was happening in the geometry and posting what they thought was wrong with the, uh, with, with the part. Um, but I think that that's, that's really valuable information because they can start to hypothesize and troubleshoot what's happening with these failures if they have that data. Yeah. And I mean, that's one part, but if you see the same sort of failure mode on various different geometries, it's like, okay, we need to redesign a fix for this. Um, so I, I, I find that data like not just important for checking to make sure that things are going okay, but also feeding that information into the uh, iteration process for developing next generation geometries and and figuring out you know what needs to be done better do we need to change the design do we need to change the material what do we need to do to make this suitable um so i i find that that information is not just good for verification and potentially taking parts to certification but also in those early stage development roles where you're trying to figure out what's going on exactly. um, so i that was I, I was looking at that mascara one if you haven't seen it guys again I'm going to plug the Lumafield uh, LinkedIn account again. You need to be following that account because you'll see me liking every one of those posts. But um, I think that, that that's very, very interesting. Um, so I, in terms of that, like when you're looking at the kind of customers that you usually work with, you're looking at more people that are trying to validate for, uh, you know, end of the development process and just trying to make sure that the parts are uh, quality every time or do you work more with the early stage to try and figure out if there is issues in the design once it's an assembled part? Yeah, that's a killer, killer question. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think that, you know, there are um, a couple of couple of things I'd, I'd love to kind of touch on, you know, starting starting at the um, kind of, you know, uh, assembled parts, um, kind of end, end product uh, inspection. This is also one of the areas that, um, you know, one of the kind of primary drivers of you know, adoption of additive particulate in aerospace. Hmm. Um, it's less the like performance gains of like shaving off a few percentage, yeah, you know, yeah. you know, uh, some like mass here, some mass there. Um, it's the supply chain consolidation. Uh, For sure. Being sure. able to eliminate taking, you know, like five sheet metal parts, you know, multiple electron beam welds to a uh, cast part and a machined part. For which yep. you have, you know, half a dozen different suppliers and just make yep. one process, one supplier, one material. Done. Um, you know, that's a... Uh, a very strategic way to um, select your assemblies that you're going to consolidate. Definitely. Um, one of the things that becomes challenging is then, you know, uh, once you've, you know, previously you're able to look at those processes, yeah. in, uh, those, um, excuse me, those parts in their entirety, inspect each one, assemble them, verify yeah. the process, and then you were done. When you consolidate parts, you have to do this, you know, you have to rethink how you're verifying that uh, that consolidated assembly rather than that um, assembled yeah. assembly. So we do a lot of that um, kind of, production stage. Um, yeah. So, you know, we have customers in battery and automotive in um, sports, uh, sporting goods, um, in uh, kind of power electronics who do, you know, 100% inspection of um, things leaving the leaving the factory. Mm. Um, 
So we're you know seeing a ton of adoption um, for these production applications, and we'll have some really exciting stuff to announce uh, shortly uh, around uh, around production. Um, and so that's where we also use a lot of um, you know kind of Atlas in production is you know production um, perception of yeah. like recognizing defects and saying you know that's there's your defect you know recognizing that gap in the mascara bottle. Um, yeah. So anything you can see with your eyes, um, you know, Atlas can learn and then um, you know deploy a scale uh, yeah. for um, uh, inspection applications. So that's kind of the, the production side of things. Um, where we do a lot of really high speed scanning, high throughput, it's like multiple shifts, 24/7, that kind of that kind yeah. of stuff. Um, we also see uh, a lot of use in the kind of um, R&D, so like early, early stage, and then kind of mid-stage product development, kind of uh, you know, new product introduction, you're getting your, your first shots, you're kind of doing your first article inspection, you're assessing a new vendor. Um, and that's one of the areas where we see a lot of kind of you know, batch scanning, you'll get a, you know, you get a hefty bag of new uh, uh, parts from a, uh, yeah. a, a new vendor. You'll need to scan, you know, scan a hundred of them and just see like, yeah. you know, what sort of distributions of defects do you have? Yeah. Um, so we see a lot of customers, um, you know, scanning, onboarding new vendors, characterizing new vendors, yeah. comparing vendors. There's a lot of um, this pattern that we call uh, vendor accountability. Yeah. Because um, you can get the complete picture. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. From a uh, vendor, see, see what you're, you're working with. With, um, with their system. So that's kind of the middle bucket. And then the R&D side, this is the um, also one of my kind of favorite uh, areas um, for really, you know, as a former additive guy, like the additive side, yeah. um, but really any manufacturing process, we see these like phenomenal um, design and experiment uh, matrices that our, our customers yeah. um, uh, run, where they take a manufacturing process and they, you know, they twiddle some knobs, they change some dials, they, you know, yeah. Uh, change like the uh, the laser power, the you know stitching patterns, the um, space, you know yeah. overlaps. Yeah. You know there are all these little parameters that you can change. Yeah. Dozens, hundreds of parameters. Yeah. Uh, certainly plenty in additive, um, but for injection molding, you're you know looking at uh, what's your your fill rate, your hold pressure, um, yeah. you know your different uh, the heating zones um, on your screw, what what those are set to. Yeah. Um, gating designs, all these different things. Mm. Um, so what's really cool is we see people dialing in manufacturing processes and mm. greatly accelerating. You know, years ago I visited um, a uh, die casting plant um, and they were bringing online, a, a bringing a new tool tool online. Yep. And they were just, um, they just had these like giant buckets of automotive parts that they were just throwing right back into the pot to melt down. <laughs> and uh, I asked them, you know, like what they're doing, because it was just, you know, part would come yeah, out of yeah, mold, yeah. you know, robot would demold it and, and go on a conveyor belt and they yep, a bucket yep. and bucket into the melt pot again. <laughs> and so I was asking them like, what's going on? Like, what are you guys doing? Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> Seems a bit wasteful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're like, oh no, we're just dialing, we're just dialing this tool in. Uh, you know, we usually do a couple thousand shots to, uh, you know, just get the, get the settings right yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's this you know very kind of trial and error uh process yeah, um, yeah. With, you know limited ability to kind of characterize the part um sure. so you're like do you change you know change some setting then you got to go section the part see where the porosity is yeah um and you're hoping that that porosity that critical defect is where you happen to cut the part in half oh yeah absolutely absolutely <laughs> or like doing like medical metallographic like sample uh preparation with you you know epoxy yeah. mounts uh you know, grind down quarter micron diamond suspension, um, yeah. like yeah. polishing and etching. Um, you know, you can 
you're just counting that that sample is representative of the entire, entire geometry, which geometry. in general it's not. <laughs> which, yeah, <laughs> right. the, the heat work done on the part is totally different depending yeah, yeah, on where yeah. you are. Um, I mean, awesome work coming out of uh, Oak Ridge National Lab with like better like heat balancing um, with like electron beam melting. But yeah, 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 yeah. But we see a lot of really cool stuff, um, and we've got some great actually uh, scans on our website um, from an additive webinar I did a few months ago. Mm. Uh, some little brackets that we printed in, um, you know, multi-jet fusion, uh, yeah. laser powder bit fusion, you know, titanium or excuse me, aluminum, sodium, ten mag, <coughs> yep. uh, and nylon. And what's cool is you see like dramatically different mm. um, porosity distributions. So yep. you see exactly. Um, like for the uh, nylon SLS part, you see exactly where that perimeter uh, yeah. uh, tool path yeah. mates with the fill, yeah. and you just have this nice little band of porosity. And you see this yeah. also um, with the uh, metal AM with laser powder bed fusion. You see porosity exactly where you don't want it, right below the surface. Yeah, um, exactly. Like high yeah, stress, yeah, yeah. you know, crack initiation sites. For sure, um, for sure. And then you see processes like, um, you know, when you look at the bulk processes like, uh, um, you know, binder jetting, um, you know, either like bulk centering or um, um, like uh, uh, multi-jet fusion, yeah. uh, you see a very different um, dis spatial distribution and like morphological distribution. Um, yeah. You're, you're generally seeing far more spherical pores. Um, and you're also seeing a much more even distribution. Yeah. Um, it's true. Every fracture surface I've seen from uh, multi-diffusion has like voids. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, yeah. they're generally more spherical. But you know, you also see a lot of inclusions. So uh, yeah. you know, we've gotten you know scanned parts from you know of different provenance uh, provinces, and yeah. um, you can see is, did somebody recently run like titanium in this machine? So yeah. it's like there's flex contamination. contamination, and contamination. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So and, that's going to be yeah. a problem. You know, it depends on your, your application. But. Yeah, and it'd always be good if there was a way within your software to kind of look and see what percentage of cuts would actually find porosity. Oh, geez. Like, <laughs> because it would be a very small percent. <laughs> like, yeah, how scary is my current QA process? It's, like, it's almost like, okay, finding a needle in a haystack, but okay, yeah. we sliced here, it doesn't that's, seem to have any porosity, we should be fine. That's exactly but right, yeah. It's all over the place and you'll kind of not tripping over it, which is, you know, <laughs> not necessarily a sign that it's not there, right? Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, no, so I think that that's a, it's interesting because again, it's software has definitely allowed you guys to achieve amazing things on the CT side, on the machine side as well. Like seriously, the, the quality of software that's coming out of Additive today is probably much, I would say that it's much more advanced than what we're seeing in terms of the hardware improvements because, you know, when it comes down to it, it's a box with lasers, right? And you're telling the lasers how to do their job. Um, so we see optimized tool paths. We're seeing, um, you know, the ability to do automated calibration with the VeloTag. Mm -hmm. We're seeing the real-time feedback loops that are happening with the EOS system, which I actually find really interesting. There's a there's a lot of capabilities around that. Seems slightly more difficult to certify at this stage, but there are a lot of ways that they could get around that um, very quickly. I think that there was a post recently from NASA saying that they were going to make a solid effort to try and figure out how to quantify and qualify the uh, ability for uh, real-time feedback to actually be a useful application and yeah. certification for uh, aerospace applications. So there's a lot of stuff that's happening on that front. Um, and again, like in process monitoring, there is a lot yeah, of data yeah. that's coming out of it in order to make sure that the parts are getting better. Um, one of the things that I, I was speaking with a company that's in aerospace and we're talking about, okay, well, 
real-time feedback into a tool path, how do you get certification on a part that every time you build it, it's slightly different? Mm. Because mm -hmm. the tool path mm -hmm. is going to be slightly changing based on the, you know, uh, the amount of energy that's getting consumed by the powder and making sure that the melt pool is solid. But how does that feed back into, okay, this is a certified process, this is a certified tool path, this is a certified part. Yeah. But you know, we were having a chat and, you know, the variables are always changing with additive, right? You know, you've got the gas flow. The gas flow might be slightly different. The the powder quality might be slightly different. The PSD recycle rates might be slightly different. There are always going to be variables, but the variables are kind of taken into account when you're actually updating that tool path in real time. So having that real-time feedback is great, but if you've got a certified part on a specific uh, optimized toolpath created from that real-time feedback loop, you could lock in that certification and then from there have, uh, you know, a certain tolerance that you would accept and then a certain potential extended tolerance that's acceptable, but it needs to have CT verification. So there's a lot of very interesting stuff that's happening around that, but the acceptable parts they were saying you know there is a specific tolerance that will be acceptable from that original locked in uh mm. toolpath and then if for example there is the potential that there might be porosity in other sections if it's you know outside of you know five percent uh, tolerance on the original toolpath but then if for example you could take that out to 10 to 15 percent tolerance expansion and if it has a certified and approved ct scan along with it, I think that there is going to be more need for CT as these kind of real-time processes uh, are improved and, and applied because you want to be able to expand that acceptable part range. Yeah. So I think that there's going to be a, a, a hopefully I'm going to uh, see a lot more companies bringing in additive into, into their uh, workflows. but. You know, I think there's going to be a lot of companies that, along with that, they need to have some CT solutions or, you know, hopefully find some more CT uh, providing service bureaus that are going to be able to yeah. help them to deliver that. Um, so I, I'm pretty excited about the fact that software is delivering not only on the additive side, but also then potentially helping to expand the uh, strike rate that we can potentially get from the additive processes, especially with these new uh feedback loop controlled systems. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, I think, a, a, it dovetails, it's kind of two sides of the coin of just yeah. how, how you manage the increased complexity of the manufacturing operation. Yeah, and I, I guess we don't have too much time left, but I want to kind of also touch on, for example, MRO. When you were talking about consolidated parts, um, you know, it's, it's very hard to pop the bonnet and have a look and make sure that things are running well if the bonnet is sealed, closed, <laughs> and welded, right? Um, so I think that, there is a lot of benefit in having some of these processes and, and uh, ongoing MRO capabilities for checking to make sure that there aren't any issues with the lattice after, for example, 100 flight hours or 1,000 flight hours, making sure that you're not having to destruct the part and make it completely useless in terms of doing then, you know, the 1,000, 10,000, 100,000 uh, hour checks because you have to break it to make sure that it's working, right? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> it kind of reminds me almost of the Zoolander <laughs> moment where the files are in the computer and he's matches yeah. and it's like, well, now <laughs> it's useless, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. So are you doing work with companies around 
qualifying parts that have had use and trying to remove the need for doing MRO, but uh, trying to make sure that the consolidation is still consolidated. <laughs> yeah, I think um, you know, I'm trying to think about, um, I don't think we have anything in the additive space. Uh, I would say a lot of our yeah. battery um, oh, yeah. Yeah. customers, I mean, batteries are, again, in, in kind of many yeah. ways, you know, their, their function arises from their structure yep. and, uh, you know, obviously the, the chemistry, uh, the materials, um, but, you know, the, the failure modes are often uh, geometry based. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I think a lot of our, and, and there's, a, there's something that um, our, our better customers want to understand how they uh, behave over time. Yeah. Um, so there certainly are a lot of, you know, components out there where you just um, replace, like you, you have these like preventative maintenance uh, schedules. Yeah. Because, um, you know, you've done some characterization, you know, that's, yep. you know, you have some like crack initiation and like propagation schedules and you yep. like, want to uh, nip those in the bud, prevent those. Um, I'd say that that's you know, definitely an area um, of opportunity. I'd have to, you know, there, there was a time when I knew all of our customers off the uh, top of my head. <laughs> <I'd have> to <laughs> go, uh, go and kind of go through our, uh, our customer database and see, um, get a, you know, a little more familiar with kind of who, who might be doing what. But I think that's, it's definitely an, an area of opportunity yeah. where, um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of, again, it's just the, the cost of knowing yeah. um, has come, you know, that's, that's essentially what we're driving down. So yeah. we're, we're trying to yeah. drive that cost of knowing to, you know, as, as close to zero as possible, yeah. um, you know, depending on your application. But um, we're driving that cost of, you know, that cost of confidence, I yeah. guess is really kind of how we could talk about it. We're driving that cost of confidence yeah. down, you know, farther and farther, you know, 10x, 20x, 30x, um, yeah. a lot of different ways to calculate it. Um, but, you know, I think that the cost of not knowing uh, can be expensive in, in many ways. Yeah. Um, that's when you get, you know, recalls, which, you know, can be particularly in the battery space. Which very, is very expensive. Multi-billion yeah. dollar ones. Uh, yeah, exactly know, right. Five, ten, like, billion dollars. Uh, and I mean, a recall is best case situation. If there was a ma massive failure and all of a sudden there was, yeah, you know, God forbid something that loss happened, life, yeah. loss of life, you know, that that's e even worse, right? Yeah. So, um, I think that there's the cost of knowing is definitely something that people need. And I think that with the cost of the technology coming down, it definitely makes that cost of knowing a lot cheaper, right? Exactly. And uh, with additive, you know, there's a lot of uh, parts that we're looking at trying to switch out that are visually inspected every, you know, second or third flight or every second or third usage. And if you can't visually inspect all of the different functions within that geometry, what are you going to do? You, you know, it becomes a very difficult uh, situation for them to do. So if they had maybe two or three parts, they're constantly switching out, scanning, bringing it back, good mm -hmm. to go. Um, you know, it, it could potentially lead to longevity of the part and actually enabling use of that part rather than saying, well, we can't inspect it, so right. we can't use it even though it's going to make our processes 50% more efficient, right? Yeah, yeah, enabling longer longer lifespans, longer yeah, service life. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I, I, I think there's a lot of value around that, and I, I definitely think that's an area that needs assistance. Um, so as we kind of talked about with when we were at Autodesk, people brought us the problems and we were trying to solve them. It's yeah. uh, I think it's a very similar situation now. Bring us the problems, and if you've got problems in MRO, like I think that... I would definitely love to see a case study on that. So reach out to Andreas. <laughs> see what we can problems. do. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I kind of think that we're probably almost at the end of the uh, at the podcast. But I, I 
feel like it's very interesting, you know, like a lot of the stuff that we touched on, you know, having a look at the way that software is engaging with hardware these days. Um, I am also a massive, massive fan of the use of additive to improve uh, existing traditional manufacturing processes. Um, I speak to a lot of companies that say we're going to 3D print everything and they're usually the ones that, you know, raise a little bit of venture money, but they tend to not do too well in the long run. Um, you know, we work with some customers that are doing really great work around, um, you know, application of heat exchanges. They're creating the, yeah, they're yeah. creating the casings with 3D printing, traditionally creating the inserts, brazing it to kind of get it all together. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there's there's a lot of very, very cool work that's happening with additive, bringing it into the traditional manufacturing workflows. Um, and again, putting additive to the test where it makes sense is a lot easier to get, you know, value for money and bang for your buck than yeah. trying to force it into areas where it probably yeah. shouldn't be playing, right? It will only get used where it generates, it either has to generate sufficient value or yeah. save sufficient cost. Um, those are the only two ways that yeah. additive, like... Or reduction of lead times. And exactly. Yeah. Aerospace, like mm -hmm. when with Velo, you know, it was a, a very strong focus on aerospace and most of the time it was you know four to five months is too long for us to yeah. try and iterate when oh. we're trying to you know break the mold right so exactly. exactly um so i think there's a there's so many different things that are happening at the moment around both of these uh areas um again the software background i think gives us a somewhat unique perspective and the fact that we both kind of came from a design and uh kind of more being being Autodesk, you know, the, the design side was always front of mind whenever we were doing anything in additive. Um, but, you know, having the ex access to, you know, the mold flow teams, the Delcam teams, there was a huge yeah. focus on post-processing. There was a huge focus on simulation. Understanding, understanding the full product yeah. development life cycle, you know, yeah. from sim through, you know, design sim, manufacture, you know, characterize like it. It's, yeah, yeah. Making a product is more than CAD, and um, exactly, exactly. And it's more than putting the metal in the right place. It's, yeah, it's exactly. A lot, of, a lot of pieces have to come together. Yeah, to and then looking at the the post processing, and then making sure that you know everything's come together. And again, that that next step is of course making sure that it's certifiable and quantifiable, and everything's working, which yeah. kind of comes down to CT, right? So I'm, I think there's a there's a huge amount of value. Um, and I look forward to kind of seeing where you guys are heading. Um, I, you said something about production. I'm excited about that. I'm again going to say it one last time. Make sure that you follow Lumafield's LinkedIn page because it's it's some of the most attractive images that you'll see on LinkedIn are coming from uh, the simulation. Uh, sorry, the. Uh, the scanning technology. And um, if you haven't seen them, I'm probably gonna print some and put some on my wall. They're that pretty. 